Hello and welcome to the Bad Vibes Club podcast. Thanks for tuning in and downloading and um, putting us in your ears again. Really kind of need to come back. Uh, thanks everyone who listened to Hamish's Guided Meditation. That's the last podcast. That was a special commission for the Bad Vibes Club. And I'm excited to say that we'll be at the ICA in London on August the 15th doing a day of workshops and an evening of performance. And that's going to be with Hamish McPherson, who we're working with over the rest of the year, and Sophie Mallet as well. So if you'd like to come to workshops by Hamish, me and Sophie, and then see Hamish and Sophie perform, then keep an eye on the ICA website. We'll put it up on the Bad Vibes website as well. So this time we've got Beth Collar. Beth was over for like two weeks in London. She lives in Berlin um, now, and she kindly agreed to come down in the middle of working for the South London Gallery, doing the install for, for their next show, she came down afterwards. I bought a tiny little bottle of wine for her and I bought a beer for me. And it was so hot and we had to shut the windows and I don't have a fridge. So the wine was hot and the beer was hot and we were very hot. But we had a really interesting conversation. I feel a bit bad because of the nature of the research that I do for these interviews. I, I, I look at everyone's websites and Beth maybe hadn't updated her website for a few years so so we spoke about a lot of her old work but we, we also spoke about her latest um projects uh, especially in london so at standpoint gallery her show of sculptures and at kunstraum which was a kind of performance that was worked on in the space um and they're both really interesting and i'm sure you can see documentation of both online um, we also spoke about kind of the logic of the Dark Ages and also the the fantasy of the Dark Ages. We spoke about being scared of dying or dying in your sleep. And we spoke about beheadings, which kind of feature in Beth's work a lot. And we spoke about how they've uh, made a bit of a comeback. So this kind of death that felt like a historical thing, like it doesn't happen anymore, um, has obviously made a comeback with ISIS. And what happens when contemporary events take over your your references and, and how that affects your work it was super interesting Beth's great she's really funny the whole podcast is really funny and we start with her recommending me some podcasts my top three yeah would be Dan Collins Hardcore History oh I don't I don't listen oh to my God. Dan Collins da- Dan Carlin Dan Carlin he, I'm gonna get these he's on. like he's a um, he's an ex-news anchor mm-hmm He's American, and I think he's the embodiment of modern epic poetry. Wow. He's incredible. Oh, that's interesting. Hardcore history. Hardcore history. Dan Carlin was <laughs> hardcore history. I um, find it quite... It took me a while to be able to f- um, listen to any podcast because they was, it seemed like such an American median, medium. Yeah. That Like This American Life being the kind of yeah. beginning of it. Yeah. I mean, that's decent. Oh, program. yeah. Yeah. But, but this, I don't... I think I th- I, that sort of hmm. I'm I'm like I've, I guess I've been using it more for like actual research for my mm. work like looking at certain parts of history. One of the, my favourites is also it's called um, the Rex Factor, <laughs> and it's or Rex Factor, um, and it's these two English guys I think from like Cambridgeshire or something or sure. like they live they're based half in Essex and half in London. They've been doing like the Kings and Queens of England. Oh, as right. like top trumps. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, That's nice. For years now, and I've been listening to it for years, and now they're doing the Scottish Kings and Queens. Yeah, series and two, episode thirty-eight, James the yeah. Second of yeah. Scots. Exactly. Wow. So they literally do it's because it's a two-person podcast. It's really nice because 
there's like the dumb every man who's playing you yeah and then there's the guy who sort of knows what he's doing that's quite a common a um, of like how it works it's a common ruse in podcasting isn't it i have the person who's kind of telling the story and the person who's like interjecting with other jokes or questions or like yeah. oh i don't understand how that would work exactly yeah it allows the story to be very memorable and like you feel like you're part of it whereas <laughs> i've been listening to this one called the history of english which is a podcast about the english language and the guy is like he's some american lawyer got a amateur interest and he's and it's amazing but he's reading off a screen probably yeah and it is so difficult to follow what he's talking about yeah and it's like they're quite long as well and you're just like <laughs> whereas dan carlin will do like he'll do a five hour long podcast and you will be on the edge of your seat the whole yeah. time because he's got that the techniques of going i mean let me just tell i mean can you imagine this just like let me compare it to this thing and then hold on a minute let's just take it back a minute and like bring it to like give you the story again and then he'll sort of like replace you back into the story or like focus you into what he's into it's a really interesting um, thing isn't it because there's the the one thing i find really irritating about documentaries on television for example is that they constantly are replaying the story and re yeah grounding you yeah, but yeah, for some yeah. reason in podcasts that works because your attention isn't always directly on the podcast you might be working yeah. i guess that's when yeah. most people do it so you kind of do need someone to keep reminding you where you are yeah. in the story yeah and he's i mean he doesn't overdo it at all he just, it's just I think he's just a genius at, at storytelling because it, it's just like, how can he have told me this, the whole of the story of the First World War in the trenches of, like, France, essentially, for seven episodes and all of them have been, like, five hours long. And I'm so like, each episode is five Yeah. That's like, pretty hardcore, isn't that, it? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting because yeah. you need. Do you use like a dedicated pod? Oh, I guess you can use iTunes yeah, if you yeah, want. Yeah, just iTunes. I mean, it's no good, but it's sort of. It's yeah, fine. because on the one I use is really useful in the sense that it just it remembers where you are in all of your podcasts. So if it is mm. a long episode, you can flick around, yeah. go to something else, and you go back and press yeah. play. iTunes does that. And it's weird how you can kind of remember, even if they start mid sentence, you remember where you are in the story, and you just kind of lock back into it. Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. So when you say research. In my so I've just spent a day of like Beth Collar binging, which is really yeah, it's really fun. No, it's really nice. It's such that's <laughs> for a, you. <laughs> no, it's a nice privilege when I do these um, these interviews, and you just get to like, you know, who watches a whole Vimeo video yeah. of someone's yeah, performance? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I got to do it, and then it makes you kind of make connections you definitely wouldn't yeah. otherwise make. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, actually, Dan Collins totally trickled into some of my. Oh, really? Which yeah. ones? Maybe. Oh, um. There's one I did in, um, what's it called, Um, the Reichs Academy, and that I also did in Nottingham Contemporary, something that Nicky Russell um, did. It's called like Tall Tales and Wellywood Narratives. And I sort of used some of his way of talking about some of the numbers, like numbers in history, like, whoa, like 50, 100,000 million men (laughs) died. And that's like this. and Or like how people's heads got chopped off by the Mongols or whatever. Like these like bombastic figures that like just seem so sort of abstract. And and then like just plonking those in with like really like really too personal, like really too like almost a bit gross of personal confessional shit. Yeah. Um, But that was that, that one. But I think both times they've been documented, like the first time it was documented with the microphone turned off. 
oh. on the camera. <laughs> and the second time it was just the sound. Sure. So, you know, it's like, I don't, I, I've got loads of them like that that I haven't quite managed to, like, put out. Yeah, because the I, there was only one that I think you, that was available on your website that was just sound. Mm. And yeah. I, I listened to it and it was great, but the I was thinking, one. oh, it's interesting that there's only one there. Because yeah. in my head, it seems an easy way to document. Yeah. But also, there is a kind of inadequacy about it or something. For sure. I think, yeah, exactly. I may, Maybe I should just... I just haven't updated it for years. It's two years out of date, that website. I was, yeah, I was thinking yeah. it doesn't include the latest stuff, does yeah. it? I've got loads now. I'm going to do... I've got to do a binge because it's getting You don't want to do it unless you're some new media artist. You don't want to update your website every week or whatever. No, especially if you've forgotten how you built it in the first place. <laughs> My friend Ben, who I do the Arca group with, I think he somehow like he lost his own source code or something or forgot the password yeah. to his own server. Yeah. So now he just can't. Can't, can't update it. Yeah. The other has to like delete it and yeah. let or let it run out and not subscribe. Yeah, 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 and that's it. But I was going to say, so you listen to these podcasts for research yeah. into history. But in my head, or at least in in the work that I've seen when I was watching it, I was only really ever thinking about like medievalness. Yeah. I mean, that's a big, that's a lot of history. Yeah, but, yeah, 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 yeah. But I didn't. Is there are there kind of other periods of history that you're interested in? What's my favourite bit of history? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, okay, yeah, okay, of course it's the medieval as a, like, general, you know, fungible term. What is, um, what is the medieval? How do you even... I mean, well, yeah, I mean, initially I was really interested in the Dark Ages or the, the idea, like, this, like, non-existent, like, or no longer, like, relative term. Yeah, that, because um, it was a term that was used and then people realised it wasn't so dark. Totally, yeah. And it's now called like the early Middle Age mm. um, or the late late antiquity and early Middle Age. Mm. And then then it beca- and then that's like that covers like the end of the Roman Empire and like the beginning of like Saxon shit or whatever. Sure. But yeah, and then I guess the medieval period finishes with like this, like mid fifteen. Like the end of the fifteen hundreds. And what kind of marks that shift? And what? So then, yeah, bloody hell. Um, Sorry, yeah, we're just getting deep into. I think. Straight away. I think it's like to do with. I mean, it's, it's like the modern era, right? When, yeah. when I mean, this is really. I'm not. I'm not one of those people who thinks very. I've not got it down. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm like completely. I stick it all together with like that, like sugar-based glue or something. I don't know. <laughs> but is um, that why the? Like, is that why something like the Dark Ages appeals to you? Because it is. Well, I mean, like, as you said, because it's, it's a fantasy yeah. period. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's like Descartes, right? And oh, what? Like someone comes like up philo- with philo- certain philosophers who start yeah. coming out, and then it's suddenly like now we can talk about this as being modern thinking, as okay. opposed to like medieval thinking is supposed to be sort of much more religious based and yeah. like not scientific. Um, and, what, and what draws you to that period? I mean, I'm I'm really interested in Britain as a Catholic country, like all of our churches have been whitewashed. Mm. So they're all austere now, but actually under the paint, there was other paint, you know. Everything was really bombastic and, like, smells and bells and all that. And we can't... Smells you don't bells. think about England like that. Yeah. But actually yeah. it was, you know. So that's why I've been working a lot with, like, effigies, because they're, like, the last remnants of, um, like, a Catholic sculptural tradition. Then they're what, allowed... They an, were allowed... an effigy? Um, an effigy is a... Um, representation of a dead person. Ah, okay. I guess it can be a living person as well. So, like, you that can burn an effigy, you know, in, in like Guy Fawkes is an effigy. Yeah. But also, an effigy in a church would be a stone or metal 
copy or even would copy of the person so that's so when i was doing my beth collar binge today mm. that's uh you do a, you did a performance in 2013 to a stone yeah i had done that a couple of times ah, okay i did that at what's Dorchester that called, Abbey. it's called the brackish seas of the triassic and you're kind of talking to this stone person who's laid out in a church you're kind of saying about you don't want to go to sleep you don't want to yeah. die and there's a moment in it where you say something like there's a tiny bit of like historical information which is that in the 17th century people didn't lay down flat to sleep yeah. is that yeah. true yeah yeah i did a residency like a really brief residency in dumfries house in scotland um as part of like i went to the prince's drawing school and one of the things that happens sometimes is they email you going like, we're thinking about setting up a residency. It's in this place. Does anyone going to go and try it out and let us know how it felt or whatever? So we went, me and a friend who also studied right there, went, went for a, two weeks. And it was pretty, like, sort of bleak. But the house is, it's all Chippendale furniture. It's like the original Chippendale furniture that was built for the house. Wow. By the guy who was getting the house built he like commissioned chippendale down in london to make his furniture and when would for his house i'd say like the late 1600s hello um it's matt here in another time and another place beth emailed me to say that the house is actually from the 18th century which is obviously wrong which is why i'm stepping in uh, as fact-checking mcgee to uh, correct it but she also did make the good point in her email that it's interesting how these very pre-modern ideas, very unscientific ideas, survived w uh, well into the modern era. Okay, let's go back to the conversation. Thanks. There's a painting of James the f First, which has a hole through it where it got shot in the face. <laughs> in the south? <laughs> yeah. Um, so all of this furniture is all, all Chippendale, and it's really unique in that it's like still there. Mm. And there's a bed that is bloody tiny. It's ridiculous. You're like, hold on a minute. And the curator was like, well, yeah, they didn't lie down. Wait. They prop themselves up in bed to they sleep. They kind of sit sleeping, but yeah, at like an angle or something. Like she says, like the popular misconception is, is that you know that people were smaller in the old days, oh. but actually they just were sitting up in bed to sleep because they thought, literally, you'd be like, you'd be sort of mimicking yeah. the dead, and that would mean that you would be dead. Like it was sort of. Like, you know, they weren't washing because they thought that to wash would be to like get rid of that nice layer of something that was stopping you getting germs or whatever like there's all these like you yeah know, just for us now so in terms stupid, of like yeah if, if we're gonna do that thing which you're kind of i guess you're critiquing like shove the medieval up against the modern yeah they had all these completely different archaic ideas yeah and completely normal and like definitely the truth yeah know? yeah yeah like yeah. so the truth that even if you were like a highly privileged very rich person having your own furniture built mm. by someone in london you'd still be like oh my god no i wouldn't lie down yeah i mean that's all the witch trials happen around that time as well like there's still witch shit happening ah, okay one of the reasons why i i mean the way i made that text was really to like me almost like recording myself like blathering while i was walking around london and then like writing it up and then re-editing it and by having conversations with people and it's a lovely sort of popping in and it's a lovely moment in all the performances you're often reading from scripts and and in another interview i've said i've seen that you said that you're dyslexic mm. and there's a kind of stammering element to it yeah. but but that also is obviously in the script as well you can kind of tell there's this like yeah. replacement of words and like in that performance especially there's this confusion of like bed and body and stone yeah. and death and 
all this beds kind of... of the alabaster beds of the Midlands and yeah exactly yeah yeah well, I mean I guess it was just that terminology and that like slipping of the tongue already happening and then and just sort of making it more I mean I guess it's partly because I often feel a real like in, insecurity around like making statements mm-hmm. like I don't I don't know anything you know I guess it's partly like a acknowledgement of that like this is a stuttering I've, I've got to say something but I, I'm gonna I sort of I, ca- I can't like be sure yeah yeah but there's something really nice because it allows you into that slippage between bed and body and different kinds of beds and like, it allows you into that I don't want to say irrational because that's not the point but like strange kind of imagination that would allow you to believe that lying down in a way that mimics the dead might make you dead yeah so like this idea that words are kind of logical or statements can be logical yeah. is undermined by just kind of like bouncing between these yeah. different words yeah or just making a mistake suddenly becomes like a more logical or more believable statement or something the other reason why that really got sort of focused in on was because i'd found out that because i couldn't speak and well I, I didn't say anything till i was about two after I was two, my, I didn't have oh, said okay. anything. And I've got nephews who are now, I mean, they're in there like, you know, they're six and four or whatever now, but like they were all speaking at the end, like one, you know, before they were even one. And like my mum said I didn't speak till two. And she was also saying I didn't sleep. I would, uh-huh. wouldn't go to sleep. And it was just because I've got these nephews. So we were sort of like comparing and contrasting like different ways of being a child or whatever. <laughs> um, and she said, yeah, like when I was about four, she'd like eventually like said like, but Beth, why won't you go to bed? And she then I said that my, oh, well, you know, because grandpa died in his sleep. Uh, and that, um, but he died when I was like one and a half. But I'd like just obviously like remembered some sort of phrase that someone had said to like make it seem like it was all okay you know yeah of course that's the most comforting thing for an adult but for a child it's like oh shit right (laughs) better not do that then better (laughs) not ever go to bed ever again yeah which is like totally the same as the medieval dudes or like whatever like not lying down yeah whoa you wouldn't lie down mate (laughs) taking a risk there you know what i mean so yeah i don't know like the child's mind versus and like all the yeah those sort of irrational things but i mean i've been more recently actually trying to go off script like not being the last two performances i've made haven't had any any script at all you did a performance on sunday yeah and that was with someone else called hannah still hannah still yeah it was very hard to google she is why why is she so hard to Google? she's bristol based Obviously, uh, it makes it hard. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, I guess she she's sort of she is quite mysterious. Um, I don't really know. I mean, she's we're friends. She was she ran she she was a curator. She ran a residency that I did in Bristol. That was Detroit, Detroit space or something. Just... Detroit. Um, it was only a set, like it was a three month project. Okay, her and Bryony Gillard ran. I know Bryony Gillard, but yeah, yeah. I, I never. And she, she's just really interesting and we're, we're friends and I felt like it would be a really nice opportunity to like do something with her in, like, in tandem. Yeah. Um, and and Thomas, Thomas from Constram was just like, you just do what you want. It seems really nice. He, he's, that seems like the... Vo- I mean, I only know from Sophie's show, but it seemed like Sophie just had the space to muck yeah. around in for a week or a few weeks or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that for the same situation? Yeah, he sort of gave me that. So I mean, it was like, it was going to be two weeks and then it went down to one week, but... I mean, you know, the one week was great. Though, of course, the election made it really, like, I've got really distracted. As in but you were just distracted from I'm making so, art. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, exactly, like, dropping the 
dropping the computer right like oh god no I've got to go out I've got to go and doorstep otherwise like I, did how, you do that yeah yeah that's but, like, pretty good just at the, like on the last day like yeah. as it was getting closer and closer to the performance just feeling more and more like I can't just not have done that because I've but you managed to make some work and then and was this yeah. like the culmination of it or was it just a kind of extra performance on top of an exhibition or no no we, we it was just a performance okay. but I made I made things to like perform with or to like I guess I made a performance for the, the effigy I've done like performances to a pile of earth before that I dug up mm-hmm. from a battlefield performance for the severed head yeah exactly you know? I made I made those yeah that first one was an oak severed head and the second one were rubber ones yeah that me and my mum kicked around oh that was your mum I didn't know it was your mum it was my mum yeah I didn't necessarily you, make a big statement that you didn't it was credit my mom. it as a as mum I should no I mean it's, it's sort of I just wanted someone who wasn't my age and yeah, also wasn't an actor and then mum mum was up for it I'm gonna I've got a good list I'm gonna just read right. a list okay so it's a list called horrifying events in Beth's art oh so this is from my just from the website but horrible kind of ways to die so disappearing into a swamp or quicksand decapitation drowning in mud dying in a heap of nameless bodies on a battlefield so both modern and pre-modern battlefields dying in your sleep murder of various kinds amputation war crimes involving murder beating and rape kicking a decapitated head with a pair of new balance shoes and carrying a decapitated head in a wheelie bag so they're just, uh, it, it's not from loads of different work, but just it's yeah. suddenly struck me that these like horrifying events happen. Mm. That's not quite right. right. They're represented or referred to yeah. or invoked or something yeah. in your work. Do these thoughts of like horrible things just like come to you? Or is it from your research, like looking at history and looking at horrible things that have actually happened? Or are you the sort of person who, like, when, like, one of those trains comes past really fast through the station, you just imagine a bit of metal flying off and decapitating several people on the <laughs> platform? Um, what is that? I don't know. I, um, there's, a, there's an epic poem by some unknown source. It's like an Irish um, epic called The, the Torn, spelt the T-A-I-N or the T-I-A-N or something, the Tain. And it's about... Uh, the hero called Colin, or I'm just making that up, probably, sure. partly because of a there's a Pogue song called "The Sick Bed of Colin." I don't know, but then the the spelling is all wrong, and I just assume that that's his name, but it might be something else. At the beginning of the story, he's like three, and he does loads of like amazing feats, and they're all mad, like killing a dog with a spear, like while it's running at him, like it's the biggest dog ever, and then he takes on the mantle of being the dog. He like becomes the the dog of Ulster, mm. the hound of Ulster. So that's mm. that's what his name means. But then it just it's like the most ridiculous book. I mean, it's a you know it's a good novel length book, like an inch thick or you know three thirds of a three quarters of a not <laughs> uh, inch. And it's pretty much there's a point at which like he's he's three at the beginning and then he's like seven and he's utilised loads of sick shit like really <laughs> mental. He like sires a child. He kills his child. He kills like, his own child. Yeah, his child comes to like have Success. a fight with him and he just has a fight and like kills him. <laughs> um, and he like you know manages to do like the hero salmon leap, which is this type of like leap that's really like impressive it's sort of like um you know like a berserky style stuff like uh, okay. extra like uh, turbo powered like when a warrior goes mental right, and they okay. start being able to just do anything and they will kill anything 
sort of that type of thing. And he's only seven still. And then like, <laughs> then he's like 17. And maybe, he's, maybe, maybe when he's 17, he kills his son. I don't know, but sure, it's all sure. a bit like, what? And he's also like slightly come from a virgin birth and... Or like he's come out of like a creature that like his mum had in his in her like she drank it by mistake and anyway it's just really yeah and he he becomes the like hound of Ulster and so he has to like look after Ulster mm. and the the men of Ulster have all got um, like period pain. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> they've all like um, birthing pangs. They've they've all been sort of cursed to have these like birthing pangs, and so they keep on like they can't fight because they've they've all got their like their pangs, and so because Col Colin isn't actually from Ulster, but he is the Hound of Ulster, he has to go and like defend the whole of Ulster against like the army of Maeve, this like woman who wants this bull, right? So it's really like okay. particular yeah. things happening. <laughs> Basically, he just challenges everyone to a single combat. Ah, uh, okay. Like everyone. And he cuts everyone's head off. Yeah. So everyone's. The, the decapitated heads are just building just like, up. Pop, pop, yeah. pop, 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 pop. Um, yeah, I don't, that's not an explanation about no, it, no. but that's just something that I've just I've read it ages ago, and it's just been one of those things that like just it's so absurd. Yeah, when you're reading it, like what this is, this is like supposed to be like you know great literature from the olden days. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's just like it's almost like a cartoon. I guess it's just from I've been using those as like I, I think I've I'm just drawn to that. Yeah, I was bad. listening to no, not listening. I was reading a into David Sedaris who actually probably is on loads of podcasts he's like an American yeah, no, diarist writer and stuff Yeah, and he there's just a quote from him which is like he's describing a boring person that he studied with kind of trying to do some creative writing and then he says I'd much rather hear you know the opening of a story being like my mother used to force my hand onto the stove yeah. and it's like in terms of performance if you're like trying to bring someone's attention to you describing like a horrible event even if you then use it to open up into other yeah. areas i guess it's just like really practically useful i don't know yeah yeah i mean i guess i've used it that sort of like horrible things in in a couple of different ways like definitely been sort of mas- mashing together something like very very ancient mixing it with something much more contemporary mm. um, and those like i think i think it's what it's a very weird thing that happens like for for you know things in the deep past being like oh yeah you know oh yeah head's been chopped off yeah of course you know sure. swords and you know or like you know Harold getting his eye poked out by a fucking ar- you know, arrow and then like probably went through his eye through into his like back of his head or whatever it probably hit his <laughs> spinal column or something you know but but it's it's like yep cool Anyway, next. That sort of stuff always happens sort of, in the old days. Yeah, whereas now, if anything like that happens, it's like, what? Yeah. Oh, what? Fuck. Um, and like, or that, even the idea of it happening to you. Yeah. And that being sort of unthinkable or whatever. Do, but then the f- idea that like it happened to just everyone. Yeah. In a way. <laughs> everyone. <laughs> just everyone had it. Everyone was just getting their head chopped off yeah. all the time. Yeah. The recent. Uh, terror attack in London in um, London Bridge mm. it's the first time that I'd been psychologically affected by a terror attack and it lasted for about five days mm. and I would think about being like stabbed multiple times yeah and it was it was not very nice it wasn't necessarily scary but it was like it was ugly in a way that like waking up from nightmare is kind of ugly yeah. where 
you know that you're in like a concrete world where that doesn't happen that much. Mm. And I wondered if there's something, there's something there where like having your head chopped off, whether or not it happened like all the time in the old days, it's like an eruption of some irrational fear rather mm. than, because even though it maybe did happen more at certain times in the past and may happen more at certain times in the future, the fear of it isn't isn't rational and will never yeah. be rational because however many heads are chopped off yours you know on the in the numbers game you're probably right unless you're a journalist. king or a, or a journalist in yeah yeah going to syria or i i got really worried actually when i when i was i think i was doing the the first time i did the performance with the severed head with the oak severed head mm. i've been working on it for months because oak's really hard to carve <laughs> um <laughs> And then, like, about two days before I did the performance, like, um, a journalist got his head chopped off, and it was a really particular one. It was, like, the sure. one. Okay, sort of yeah, there was a very famous one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I got really... I actually didn't do the performance in the end. Oh, really? I, yeah. Didn't. It just felt... It felt, like, just a bit gratuitous and, like, not yeah. nice. Like, it wasn't... It's not nice. I think that's how I felt about the... Um, the performance I did at Flat Time House, it, um, it's called something quite long that I can't remember. Yeah, and this is the one where it's, it's a Serbian also just, yeah, fighter. Exactly. And are you read, you're reading a statement. I'm just that, reading a um, directly transcribed um, interview off a YouTube video. Let's just get this right because the the there's some and the and the point being that there's now some debate over. The truthfulness of that yeah. confession in yeah. quotation marks, and whether it was kind of written and scripted for him exactly to yeah. then read out. Well, two people that he says he slits the throat of are alive now. Ah, oh, okay. So he didn't kill them. That element of it really mm. throws that whole story off. Um, and and that then that not knowing and the unknowing of the whole situation just felt like it was a really, like really strong example of something like unknowable. Especially from that particular war, which is like my fir my first war, <laughs> um, or maybe the Gulf War was my first war. But I mean, I was too young. Whereas the the um, sort of like Bos sort of is that Bosnia, Bosnia and Kosovo? And yeah, like the you know Yugoslavia breakdown, yeah. that whole thing. That was like my first. What well, I felt like I was an adult, but I was probably only like eleven or something. Yeah, but you remember um, it happening, and yeah, like really strongly remember. Everything and being, being so confusing, and it's still really confusing. And yeah, it was a very. Uh, it gave us a flavour of like contemporary war in the sense that it was. It's really hard to know if you're an yeah. outsider, know what was going on. Yeah, unless you do some serious research. Yeah, that particular interview really like. I think because it had been the basis for a Pulitzer Prize winning yeah piece of you know writing, and that 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 that's never been like actually that's never been taken away from the writer like he still has the prize for that piece of writing even though the whole the whole basis for the interview is like he was in under duress and it's completely questionable as about what he was saying whether it was true or not I, I just got excited about it in like relation to like sort of slavic literature and yeah this sort of like lone existential sort of um figures like male is that a bit like, of a trope in the in their literature then well, I mean, you think about like, you know, crime and punishment or whatever. Okay. Like it's just intensely like. 
Because he I ends the interview by saying, like, if there was a God, I know there's no God because there, if there was a God, then people like me wouldn't have been created. Exactly. You're like, what? That is insane. Like, <laughs> why would you say that in an yeah. interview in which you're being, like, you know, pulled over the coals for war crimes? It's like, okay. I mean, yeah, sure, say that. But, like, really? Yeah. Or, like, did they tell you to say that? Yeah. Or, like, maybe you're just a poetic young man. You know, who's, <laughs> I don't know. Poetic yeah. young war criminal who's just, <laughs> yeah. 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 But it seemed like that performance to me was so different from um, your other stuff because it treated violence as a serious reality, whereas your other performances are talking about violence as a kind of playful unreality, like mm. a, a thing that definitely does happen and, and should be thought about and is ugly, but the the actual moments of violence you're imagining are kind of played with. But this yeah. was literally just a reading from the transcript. Yeah, it was pretty straightforward and it, it was for a it was like a commissioned performance as part of a like an, a particular event and I guess like that is one of the problems with then presenting that as like fully my work because it's like oh, it is specific yeah. it was specifically for a night called like anti-no and what does that mean oh about like it was truth and falsity and yeah exactly what does that mean i mean we weren't we weren't given like an answer as to what that meant and we we were sent a lot of like working documents that the people at flat time house had like sort of used and mm. there was lots of sort of pdfs of sketches and questions so i was left very much like okay so anti no not knowing not being it positive to not know I, I think I, I sort of cottoned on to that war as being, like, my ultimate of not knowing because yeah. it came from such a like, adolescent time and then, and then like, and then that, that, that text or, like, that video came out and it was, it's a video that's filmed off the, in, it's, like, filmed off a VCR or, like, um, captured off a VCR and the VCR is corrupted so it obliterates most of the time. You can't read, you have no idea what's being said. Oh, wow. But if you... Um, very quickly pause it and stop pausing and pause it and stop pausing it sometimes you ca ca capture the, the, the subtitle subtitle wow yeah. but it was like it took me hours to try and get the <laughs> subtitles out of this text um that moment when you get that in a way that stuff's not apparent in the yeah in the performance and i felt i felt i felt very unsure about making that into a performance and performing it and i removed the information about the names and where oh, it was from. Oh, you changed that. Oh, in order to not... I guess because the Serbs are such the bad guys. Yeah. Because of the way that everything fall out, you know, unfolded. But at the same time, everyone... They, they were bad guys. I mean, everyone was a fucking bad guy. Like, so I'm not, like... I'm not making any arguments here. It was more yeah. just, like, as, an, as a document of a thing that is not true but yeah. is true but isn't true but has been interpreted as being real and it still exists on the internet and it still makes people absolutely furious and people are like you know serbian monster and like you know yeah. it's like continues to weave its its story into now even though it's sort of gone off it's become such an unreliable document yeah um and then i've gone and just repeated it i don't know and and then re i read it in a very flat voice i didn't want to make it too emotional but i I've, i don't know i've had such mixed reactions about that performance and it's been I mean, quite a yeah just as a piece of history like it i thought it was really interesting and 
I mean, there's something about that kind of flat affect that's like entered our culture as well. Like people recounting tales of their own terribleness in a flat affect is, yeah, like a, a kind of myth making technique anyway. I don't know. There's, yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you like a way more kind of prosaic or art based question, but so when you get a commission like that, when you're mm. asked to do something that's kind of on a theme, some artists will just like jam their own work. You know, you, they mm. would do whatever they would do anyway. Yeah. And then, you know, like maybe talk about it as though it were part of the theme or just assume that whatever, if they've been asked to take part, then they are the theme. Yeah. But you, you did kind of, do you tend to try and work to people's yeah. ideas? Um, I do, but maybe that's not the right thing to do. But, um, I mean, yeah, okay, so the thing at Serpentine, which was the one with the rubber heads and my mum, which is called, probably, yeah. comma, like a melon rolling off a table, part two. Um, that that had been a commission to, like, do something in um, within the space. I had to, I, ch- I had to choose between the two exhibitions that were ah, on at the time ah, okay. and make something that was like in relationship to those. And I think like I chose the, the, like the white, the old white German dude as opposed to the old Hispanic dude. Oh yeah. <laughs> I went to the think, old Hispanic dude show. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, who's the old white German? I can't even remember TBH. It was, I was so uninterested by his work, but like, <laughs> I had no choice but to be like, well, I guess I've got to choose one of them. How did you squeeze seven heads into that then? Exactly. Big question. I guess, I guess those two shows, they were very much these like sort of canonical dudes. Yeah. Older dudes. Like the- having their big old reflective yeah. didn't really affect them much, but it just like coming out of their work as yeah. they're like, you know, solidifying, continuing to solidify their sort of, sort of situation within the world or whatever um the work was like so unmoving or anything to me that it was like well in that case i guess this performance that i'd already done before with the oak head it sort of fitted it felt like it fitted so i guess in that situation i sort of brought that i changed it and i added a lot and i I guess it was like just a reworking or a re-versioning of of a performance i'd done before Mm. um but it, it definitely took the sort of like awkward position around this like dis- I mean I felt really uncomfortable I mean pu- I'd already cancelled that first time I'd been asked to do the performance oh, right. because of this like because of this like contemporary beheading that yeah. happened too recently and then then I sort of had the head and I had the performance and it was sort of ready it was like it was ready but I felt like I just should have waited for that to like calm down a bit because yeah. it just felt too it just felt really un- inappropriate at the time I mean, how? Do, I mean, this is like, I'm not at all asking you to like comment on global terrorism here, but like, how does it feel to have something like beheadings, which I assume that first appeared in, as a motif in your work, as a kind of medieval or dark ages fantastical notion? Yeah, just like, for that to be now a kind of contemporary phenomenon. It's mad. It's sort of amazing. I mean, of course, like capital punishment does mean like the head coming off right um it's a it's like a deeply i'm gonna say cartesian notion right Mm. that the head is the special bit and the rest of the body is like not really you it's only in the head yeah um 
which I completely disagree with. And I think everyone knows now there's like complete bullshit. Like we are in our bodies as much as we are in our heads. But it's a hard but fancy it's, to get rid of. Isn't yeah, it? absolutely. And it, even though it might have been disproved, you know, that hundreds of years ago, it's still like way the thing, right? You know, your eyes are in it. Your nose is in it, your mouth is in it, and your ears. Like, that's quite a lot of things. <laughs> um, but yeah, to chop that off. Yeah, it's crazy. Then what happens? There's a really nice line in that Serpentine performance where you're like, you say something to that effect, but but you also then say, and therefore, like, it shouldn't be on the body. I can't remember what the line yeah. is, but you're essentially saying, like, it's weird that it's attached, it's even attached to a body because it's so special. And holds all these like special things. I thought that was a really nice way of thinking about it. like, like you're you're kind of releasing the head from its enslavement by the body or yeah. something. There's a really nice um, story by um, Roald Dahl that um, he's a very gruesome writer. Oh, he's he horrible. Yeah, but the, yeah, there's a, it's one. Of, I think it's in Kiss Kiss or one of those short story collections like for adults. This guy who's like decided to like try and live forever. And his body's died, but his brain has been taken out, and his eyeballs as well. Um, so he's Where are like, his eyeballs then? They're like float. They're in these little like, <laughs> I think they're in like little plastic cases, floating in this like um, you know, some liquid. And his wife, who he's like, I guess she, he's been sort of almost like coercively controlling for the whole of their relationship, now is just like, like sort of like he hates her cigarette smoking. And and she's just there, like just fag ashing into his um, <laughs> into his liquid around, his and he, he, like his imagination of like what what that you know what's what's going on in his head or whatever. I, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, it's such a long time ago that I read it, but like it's so it's so well like imagined as a situation that it's like sears itself into your into your memory. I can't remember who this was, but someone was saying that they like had once popped an eyeball out or yeah. someone they knew had popped an eyeball out and they continue seeing through yeah, the eyeball of course. which made them feel like incredibly sick kind of yeah. labyrinthitis yeah. vibe in the, in the mind yeah it, it would right yeah it's really hard because to... you need them to be parallel yeah, like they exactly have to have that your brain is completely used to that so if one comes out or f- goes in the wrong direction <laughs> you can't see anymore in the way that you if only you could keep the sanity to be able to just like experience it and enjoy it yeah in that of course moment, your, yeah. your eyes just been fucking popped out so you're probably like freaking the fuck out my eyes on my cheek it's weird <laughs> and then just like roll with it just experience it yeah you're never gonna have this again i had i cut my eye once across the eyeball and across do you, the, the front and does it i mean obviously it hurt. It's really hurt it does hurt yeah in the, you can feel the pain in the eye as though you'd cut your skin or something. And it you... stings like a motherfucker. Oh, it's really? really painful. What did you do? How did you cut it? I, I, I fainted and um, I fainted from trapped wind. <laughs> I've heard this story. <laughs> in the middle of the night. And I, I was in the bathroom probably yeah. trying to relieve the trapped wind. It was so painful. And then, I mean, I, I'm a, I guess I've got a low pain threshold because I fainted from the pain. Then, like, found myself waking up. When you wake up from a faint, you are literally like, where the hell am oh, it's I? Horrible. I'm like, yeah. what? And looking, open my eye, going like, I'm under the, there's that, what is that white object? Oh, it's the sink. Okay, I'm in the bathroom. Why am I in the bath? What? And I said, pulled myself up, looked in the mirror, and I, like, just had blood in my, on my eyebrow and on my nose and, like, over my eye. And I was like, okay, shit, I've got blood in my eye. That's why it hurts. It stings. Like, it turns out I'd, like, scraped my eyeball on 
the sharp end, the crimped sharp end of an E45 tube. <laughs> I think that must have been it. That's the only thing I could find in the bathroom that was sharp enough to do that to me. <laughs> um, yeah, and then... And then it's just, ironic. I don't know if that's ironic. I think it is. It's, yeah. like, it's so sort of, so soothing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then I sort of gone, I managed to go to sleep because I was so exhausted because of this terrible night of having like the most awful trapped wind. You got the wind out. Yeah, the wind disappeared. By the time I came round, I was like completely (laughs) fine. And then, um, and then the the pain of the eye started coming. And then, then like in the morning, I I sort of stumbled downstairs, like, can someone help me? Yeah, I can't. Like, and it's just like so pain, and it just starts closing up, and both of your eyes go. You have to close the other one as well. It won't let you keep the other one open. And then I like ended up going down the hospital, and then they were like, "Whoa, all right, eye tissue fixes itself in forty eight hours." Without any need for anything. We're really good, aren't we? It's really good. The body. It's the fastest matter in your body to fix. Anyway, that's a complete aside. It's just no. A that's story. I'm really glad we got the fainting from trapped wind story. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe we could talk about recent work. That would be good because I came to see the Standpoint show and it was just so great. And I was like, oh yeah, Beth. I just hadn't seen anything. I think since various iterations of the. Hand of Glory, yeah, which is the performance where you hold your arm up, yeah, for as long as you can, yeah, and it's also being filmed, yeah, it's got like a live feed sort of um separation thing going on. So in the other room or whatever, there's a there's a projection or a a monitor with this sort of like scene, like a, a close yeah. up of the hand and in a black background. So it's a very sort of isolated hand sort of grasping up into the sky. Because they feel like they... Wavering uh, tends to like look slightly Yeah, because it looks Cause like... It's you're really in, painful. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, they, but they seem to have a relationship in the sense that they seem like... So the the standpoint show being a collection of sculptures of men's... Top of men's foreheads with yeah. furrowed brows. Yeah. As if they're deep in thought or various... I guess yeah. meanings but they seem to be like tropes that I can't quite identify like yeah. the hand thrusting I guess is the hand as it goes down into quicksand or as it's kind of sucked underneath something yeah as a filmic trope maybe yeah but it's it does that but it also does the like you know grasping for God or yeah. for the sun or for yeah. power or like electricity zapping into it or something yeah sure of, okay like Yes, the world will be mine. Or <laughs> yeah, um, definitely okay, like evil or, genius kind of thing. Or no, Johnny. Yeah. Like yeah, I don't know. It does everything. Yeah, we're both yeah. doing for the listener. We're both doing glorious hands. Yeah, maybe I'll put the hand of glory as the image. I sure, know what it is. It's really yeah. So like that, <laughs> that like overly tensed sort of claw. Yeah, in the sky, it does everything. It just does everything. Yeah, it's very useful maneuver. Um, so yeah, that one. So that I mean, that's the like, and then obviously now I've I've looked at things in between, but 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 then this standpoint show has all these sculptures, and there and it's another kind of trope that I can't quite yeah place exactly where it comes from, or exactly what it means. I can't either, but I think I I think I felt quite cheesy doing it when, oh, okay. I, when I first landed on this like particular like motif. Like I'd started off, and they'd been way more like looking upwards. I'd made like. I, th- I mean, it was like a version of like a sort of Batman like forehead, mm-hmm. and it was like more like with the eyes facing to the sky. Oh right! So take that and then like rotate it through ninety degrees, and then you get the rest of the cranium and and the eyes become sort of intersected by the ground. But the first ones I made were, were like looking out. I'd made one a couple of like horrible like 
paper mache ones of like Benicio del Toro's forehead. That's really <laughs> nice, and it looked like they looked like they were sort of made of um, ooh, made, they were made of like tuna mayo. <laughs> And because then, of the paper mache. Yeah, they were yeah. Like really horrible. Um, and I sort of had used those. I didn't really know what I was doing with them. And they, I'd used them like to prop some stuff up once. And But you're saying that they that was like a decision you had to make after already having made versions? I think I just did some drawings. I'd, do, I'd done this one that was a bit like um, uh, Batman's sort of mask thing he sticks on. Um, and then I'd, then I'd like flipped straight into like... Yeah, from a drawing I'd done, I'd, I'd slipped straight into like um, a sort of hominid skull or like something sort of pre-human. I think I've definitely seen in like caves full of stalactites or whatever, like skulls of like a cave bear completely covered in um, sort of petrified, covered in globules of, of like water or whatever. That like f- felt, it felt very sort of stayed in a way. Mm. Or like, yeah, like a sort of half excavated skull from a... Mm from like a horror film or I don't know like it was like a super cartoony drawing I'd done of this like hominid skull like half emerged with these little eye holes and they were like where where mice were living Um, (laughs) they had like little like oh maybe they could be mice houses or like they could be like little mini caves you know for something so the first one I then made for that purpose had like a series of interlocking tunnels that a mouse could (laughs) um, you know make a home there is that getting any use by any any mice giving it to a friend of mine who's a who's a like a lizard and snake sort of and um basically she's a she's a reptile expert but she's got loads of creepy sure. crawlies as yeah, well yeah yeah so i'm thinking i'm giving it to her and it can go in one of her, her one of her you know whatever aquarium things yeah i mean one of the aims of this podcast is to document bits of art history that might otherwise be lost and i think that is definitely <laughs> that, that will definitely get yeah i had i've known her for a long time and i, re- I definitely remember like i did a pottery class when i was like seven and i remember making something for a snake like yeah. a, a specific little sculpture for a snake for her <laughs> she probably still has i hope she still has That's so really yeah nice I, I thought it could be a, like a she her house can be a place where things learn yeah land. <laughs> but then, there is yeah. something really cartoony about the whole show because that the way that you're able to explore caricaturish maybe because the yeah. way you're exp- able to express like i think you have like the kind of footballers slash city boy haircut on one of them yeah and there's yeah, there's kind of various like expressive things in the eyebrow and the forehead and the hair yeah. that allow you to kind of see them as characters or something. Yeah, maybe like I'd made three that felt a bit like mm, I don't know, don't know, and then I got I sort of like landed on a sort of thing, and it was partly like this thing of like getting a lump that mm. felt like the right size and then punching it <laughs> in the face, yeah, until it became a sort of vessel, and then just like. Or sometimes like throwing it on my knee and then slapping it over my knee, so using my knee as a sort of to make the shape mold. of the skull. Yeah, you mean. yeah. And then it just became like almost like okay, you've done this next one. What's it going to be like? Oh, great. And then just in a way taking the fact that I've got two hands and I'm symmetrical and like just using that symmetricalness to like everything. Pretty much most creatures on Earth are symmetrical. Anything mammalian at least. Because there's a kind are, of like just predator style skull. Yeah. Like an yeah. alien in there as well, but he still manages to be really arrogant in the crinkliness of the forehead. Yeah, some of those were just like purely like a formula being repeated. Yeah, and then like yeah, if you do angry sort of no powerful eye powerful eyebrows powerful um, thinking uh, mm, power yeah sort of lone powerful man mm. looking into the distance, then you just repeat it, 
and then repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, all on the same object. Suddenly, though, those lines were like making these sort of like rules for me that I just yeah. had to follow. And then the next thing you know, it's like some horrible underwater subterranean horrible sort of beast. So it's, they sort of did what they wanted, really. Yeah, it's so amazing when you hit on something that you can repeat. I mean, not not just motifs, but like a like an action that allows you to just stay with the same idea for, for yeah. a long period of time. Yeah. I'd probably done half that show in my studio and then I'd come to the space and I'd unpacked it all and I'd I'd sort of removed some of the ones that went weren't allowed in anymore and then I then I made like half what more What do you mean weren't allowed in? You just did, weren't into them or? Yeah, I guess the space, having them in the space made me realise that they should go um, and then I had the opportunity to carry on working because I, I had a three week in the stall. Oh right, wow. Partly because I thought when I when I made my plans, I, I thought I wouldn't have anything. I'd be making everything on site. Ah, uh, okay. Um, so I sort of make, gave myself a huge time, and then it turned out um, there's a ceramicist in the top of the building called Nicola Tassi, and she was super like, "Yeah, just use my kiln." No yeah, way. Sure. Oh, oh great. here's some clay. Sort of. So suddenly I was just like, "Okay, great." So then I like doubled the show there, and that allowed me to like sort of more like feed in like oh, how get feedback from the space and like mm. how they felt in the space and added what was missing or whatever a couple of people i'd met also like sneaked in there's one who like everyone kept on saying looked like andrew neil <laughs> which was sort of based sort of vaguely based on um eric van Leeshout, who i'd been working for at the SLG. oh yeah of course oh, he's got an amazing he's got a very definite forehead yeah with this like straight line down the middle and then two lines that intersect it so it's almost like a six pack <laughs> very like almost like drawn with a you know with a ruler yeah. on his forehead and it wasn't at all and it was no sort of criticism of no, him. no he's, no, he's no. the most lovely man in the world but yeah I totally stole his forehead and then, stole his forehead. then turned it into like some horrible veiny future version of yeah, he was like super sci-fi, that guy. Yeah, and I didn't realise until I was reading an interview, you'd done a kind of research residency at the, is it the Glasgow Women's Library? I don't know. Yeah. If got there. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you'd made these wonderful sculptures that are kind of related to those, that totally, are of yeah. fe- female faces with yeah. furrow brows. Yeah. And in, I mean, I won't stay too long on that, but like, but just there was one line in there which I hadn't, which I thought was really interesting in the interview where you said, we hadn't really considered your work in terms of gender before. I think I knew that I was, like, really attracted to super, like, male heroic stories and... Sure, okay. ...and sort of the accoutrement of that, you know. Like but I hadn't necessarily, like, picked it apart and, like, th- sort of properly thought about it in a, like, good way. I guess, and, and, then, and then I had this opportunity and it was quite, like, trawling through all the old sort of first wave, second wave stuff. Yeah. And there's some quite bombastic texts in that and they're just they're a bit silly in a way but yeah but what's your favorite bombastic the the um, you found the the naomi wolf um the beauty myth oh yeah sure she goes all over the place and there's stuff in there that you're just like mate are you sure like she talks about lots of stuff but you remember oil of ole and there was a thing about them using fetuses in their no and like it was like Women from India being paid to abort fetuses to put in your face cream. And that's in the book. Yeah, she talks about it as if it's true. And I'm like, mate, like, what's your what's your references? And then I checked her references and it's just like some bloke who sounds like he's like paid <laughs> to have a deep, like a doctor doctorship or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but the, then the internet's full of it, though. Like, yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely, you know, definitely was, yeah. And I remember that from when I was a kid, like, yeah, oil of ole, it's got fetuses in it. But that's super interesting, yeah. right? Because it's another kind of myth. It's another, like, just like your seven-year-old hound of Ulster who sized yeah. a child and then murders it or whatever. Yeah. It's like another form of, like, Dark Ages style totally. thought that has... Like, just gained massive yeah. popularity in recent years. And I guess it would have been pre-internet as well. Oh, that's like, true. That This would have been pre-internet. Yeah, yeah, which is quite nice, the idea of, like, rumours before the internet. Like, yeah. how people found out about that Someone shit. had to actually just tell yeah. you. And it presumably it was way harder to know the references. Like, she, the poor woman, yeah. like, she didn't have the internet. She couldn't just, like, do a quick search on this guy. She probably read a paper that felt like, yeah, I can write about that. I don't know. It would be interesting to ask her now about it. Yeah, to she's, see. She's still going strong. Yeah, totally. Yeah, completely, um, and and yeah. for good reason. But but the idea that you could include something like that as a complete falsehood, but it could be a kind of foundational myth to some other part of yeah. your critique of of the beauty industry that's completely yeah. logical and makes total sense. Yeah. No, it's it's really useful. It's a great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think. I mean, she, basically, she's making the point that you can't make collagen go into your skin, so any. <laughs> any like creams that like claim to do that just are, are lying yeah and but then actually i think in america that is illegal to to say things like that oh, in really? england it doesn't seem to be illegal at all because so while i was reading that i would be like cycling past the boots and it would have photos of on the front of like you know so clarin's advert yeah. saying you but better and you know it'd be like you but like more better than you <laughs> By using this cream, <laughs> you're like, whoa, okay, yeah, fair enough. It's still relevant. Like, yeah, I mean, that's the really depressing thing about looking into older feminist texts is that they're so dated or um, anachronistic in their design and style yeah. and everything else. Yeah. But the points they're making are like pretty much just as relevant now as they were yeah. when they were written. Yeah. But so was Standpoint the first? I mean, apart from uh, after you did that residency, you showed those few works. But was Standpoint the first time you've really? yeah like referenced it as being a critique of the construction of masculinity or, or whatever no no i mean because of those those female sort of the limewood ones oh, yeah. that i showed with that um at that for that women's library thing so that was that was the first outing of that but that was more about like trying them out on female faces and like mm. what happens to the female face if you put that f expression on it is it, it just everyone says like oh it's a man then is that a man? Who's that? Really? Is that a man? And I'd be like, oh no, it's a woman. <laughs> Am I that bad at sculpting shit? <laughs> yeah. And then I, eventually I was like, okay, they just need makeup and then they'll look like women. So I took them down the Mac shop and got them, got their faces done. I mean, that's, I think, the, yeah, the moment where they become really interesting is because you, you refer to like polychromatic sculpture, but it doesn't really look yeah. anything like that because they no, still yeah, so you're right. obviously totally. would. Yeah. Makeup is such a different kind of um, surface I mean, finish to paint. Wood does have pores in the same way that skin has pores. So there's a certain... Anyway, yeah. So, yeah. I guess that was the first time I'd probably like said, yeah, okay, that is something I'm interested in. Yeah. But this show was much more like an opportunity to do like anything I wanted in the space and like anything, 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 anything. And that, that obviously threw me into the long grass or whatever. What, so in terms of like having to make a sculpture show because I guess mainly my sculptures come out of like performances or like in relationship to sculptures like that. Did and you not perform for the Standpoint show then? Nope. Oh, that's interesting. Matter. Was that yeah. an opportunity you just didn't take up or, or were they like, no, there are no performances here? No, no, I could have done what I liked, but, um, but I, I, I was trying to do a show that was sculptures and that were like in a way I don't think of them as sculptures at all I think of them more like as props or yeah or like 
objects that wanted stuff off me. They're not they're not sculptures in that they don't necessarily talk to like the Western canon of sculpture in the last fifty years. Like, but it is interesting. Maybe they decided not to perform with them because I guess as soon as you perform, I always thought that about Sophie Young's work. Well, obviously she performs with them and she's very explicit about like moving things around and making sure that they're not fixed. By not performing with something, you kind of are stepping back from making any other claims for them apart from sculpture, right? I guess I was trying to make them perform on their own without me having to like help them. And obviously I helped them in that I made them. So yeah. I guess I'm at the moment I'm trying to like push that side of my practice. I love that. I love making stuff. Yeah. And I and I think I've often felt quite like naughty about it. And I, that's bullshit. I can do what I like. I think I've just at the moment in the last like year or two, I've been like hitting this point where I felt quite like dissatisfied by the script works. Ah, uh, like, okay. The performances. And um, partly because I just get so nervous. I hate it. Oh, uh, really? And I also like find it really like, such a massive pressure like this idea of having to say something or like make a you know I don't know I felt like I'd come to the end of that if you could if you could just if you somehow were in a magical position where people were just offering you shows all the time yeah. and you could say what they would be yeah. would they always be sculpture shows or would you no I I end up wanting to do sculpt, uh, performances despite all the pain despite all, exactly <laughs> but but yeah yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know. Like I'm, 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 I'm about to like go and make a bunch of pictures, big painted pictures. They're oh, not wow. paintings. Maybe they are paintings. It's what are right. they? Or what was what was it for? Maybe let's start with the practical. Not for anything. I just wanted to do it because I, I think, I think I probably often make things that are because of something coming. And, yeah. Um, and like being a bit frustrated by that. Or like feeling like the studio practice only exists if it's in relation to some sort of demand. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm also in the exact situation where I'm just like, I'm just going to go and make some stuff in the studio because otherwise all I ever do is in response to someone else's yeah, yeah. ideas. Even if I end up just doing what I would do anyway, then my st- studio practice becomes this thing that I just do for like a month and yeah. then I just walk away from it for ages. Yeah. It seems crazy. Yeah, I think after the standpoint thing of like getting so involved and so excited about making those things and then suddenly going back to the studio and being like, oh, am I allowed to carry on doing that? Yeah. Maybe not, because maybe that's the end of that show because that's the show's finished, so I can't do any more. But maybe I can, maybe I'm, maybe I'm allowed, or doing whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And is your I, life set up at this point where you can... So you're working this week at SLG doing the install, yeah. and then you go back to Berlin and... What just you have some time off, or you do you work regular stuff over there? I don't work there, um, but I've I've engineered everything, so I, my outgoings are so <laughs> extremely small that yeah, SLG and a couple of other bits and bobs keep me going. Amazing. Um, and then like my yeah, everything else is ridiculously cheap. Yeah. So yeah, that's all like just about manageable. It's not it's not comfortable, but it's just about not manageable. And then. Um, the next few things are, I've got something in Munich, and then, um, like just little bits and bobs, but I, they're not quite like exactly. This it's like semi sort of like, can you respond to this thing? Yeah. Um, we'll try. I think yeah. try and jam your studio practice into it, or like whatever yeah. you want to do, because to subjugate your studio practice to your performance just because perf- performance is really easy for people to everyone ask you to do everyone wants it it's so like oh yeah yeah we can give do you, you a little bit of money and, yeah, blah, exactly. blah, blah, blah. and it's so like yeah I yeah 
I, that was what was nice about Thomas is that he literally was like, you can do what you want, mm. just do something. And I mean, he did initially say like performance. I was going to like, it was not actually probably very rare to be asked to do a performance without having some like theme or like, hey, there's this show, we need something for it. <laughs> it's like, nah. Ah. Yeah. Whereas that was like, literally like, we do want you to do a performance, just you to do one instead of it being like, yeah. Anyway, I've yeah. already made the point. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was really good. And I'll, I'll send you the documentation when yeah, I get it. Yeah, that'd be really nice it's, to see it. It's pretty, it's pretty different. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, and I'm I'm excited by this, like, no script thing. I, I guess I've been, like, slowly building confidence around, like, my ability to ad-lib and yeah. be, like, be in the zone while mm. performing. I know that, that's really cheesy. but um, You can say cheesy things here, that's fine. Yeah getting in the zone well i mean the best moments in performance are always the moments when you go slightly off script and it works really well exactly i mean it doesn't mean that the scripted moments aren't good it just means the feeling you get when you're doing it is so yeah. great because you're like i just made that up and everyone you know the room went silent or the room laughed or yeah or it or, or it was the right thing yeah and it was like the totally the right answer instead of it being like oh god i i'm worked for hours and i didn't know how to make this point and then and then you go and do it and then you're like oh that was that thing that i came off that came off the top of my head was the right, was the the most, yeah, important thing. Yeah. So I've been trying to make these objects that I can, like, use to stand in to be, like, characters or, like, feelings. So instead of, like, working with already existing objects, almost I, like, make versions of, like, people or things mm. that are, like, can, like, contain emotions or, like, feelings that I can then, like, try and react to when i get up on this like get into the into the stage yeah. you know or whatever and that it's really scary but i think it might be the best way I mean, it might be the most appropriate way for me to work because I, I i get so I, I think i've this whole thing of being like commissioned by a curator or like asked by a curator to do something it's it involves like months of them going like hey so what are you working on <laughs> well how are you what are you thinking about doing and then you've been like i haven't done i don't i haven't done I mean, obviously you're working on something, but you haven't got a way to talk about it yet. Yeah. And then you, I've, I've found that I just spend my time just lying to people that I've <laughs> got like, constructing a lot of lies. Yeah, I've done loads of work about it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. I know exactly what it's going to be. You know, like bullshit. And then like working out like literally five minutes before I go yeah, on. Yeah, sure. Um, and it all being fine. The not fine thing is that I've had to like construct this like version of like a professional me. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck that, I'm not doing that anymore. Well, but this also gives you the thing where you like, this is your method or something now, right? Yeah. That you go on stage with whatever notes and then you you like let it play out. Yeah. I mean that's the thing that's all that's also the strange thing about being asked to perform in response to something is that you do performance once. Yeah. Which like if you speak to people in the other end of performance which is like live art that end yeah they like write a show and then tour it around or yeah. like do like scratches and all these kind of yeah. things and then they repeat it over and over again and i'm like oh yeah that's a really good idea because then you don't just write a show do it once mediocrely improvise one good thing and then just put it in a box and put it away forever yeah but then the problem with that is that then you maybe become too comfortable and then you feel like you're doing like a karaoke version of something and, yeah. and maybe it becomes too... I mean, is it theatre? I don't know. Like, the times I've performed at the same performance, maybe to, to another time or a third time, I've often felt really like I lost them, 
I lost the thing. Yeah, okay. But that maybe is because of the script thing. I don't know. I don't know. Um, this new way of working, I done. I did a performance in Berlin at this place called Yvonne Lambert. They do this thing called Plural Melts, and they'd asked us to do, like, respond to this idea of, like, the family gathering or, like, the overburdened sort of family grouping sort of... So, or, like, an ill-fated family gathering. Mm-hmm. And I'd like ended up making my dad with food poisoning, not food, no norovirus, like a little, little like cru- sort of crumpled up version of my dad with norovirus, oh. like lying on the so- on the um, sofa. But the sofa was the, like the radiator; and it was all hot, and he was all drying out, and it was oh. made of clay. And but he was like, I'd made him until he was convincingly in for me, my dad enough for me to then like, then like do a performance with him. And I went in with no with nothing. Wow, okay. Really, um, apart from like a list of his auto-reply emails from the last, like, ten years or whatever. And, auto-reply and, emails? You know, like, when you email... I mean, well, for me, when you email your dad and you just get, I'm sorry, I'm out of the office, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll be away. To, I'm, I'm travelling till the, the 25th of June, um, you know, whatever. Like, those types of emails. Yeah. Um, but, like, literally I've got hundreds of them. And then that, and then a pair of binoculars, and, and that was it. And I went out with that. And I'm really... I was like, the thing happened. Like, yeah. the thing happened. It was the, it was, it was better than I could have written it, yeah. and, I, and I can't repeat it either. So that was Beth. Um, thanks to Beth for that. It was great to see her. I, I lived with Beth for a very short amount of time, about ten years ago, and. I see her just really sporadically since then. She moved to Bristol and then she moved to Berlin. But that week while she was over in London, I saw her a few times, uh, had a beer and obviously did that interview and it was really great to to catch up. I'm going to leave you now, but remember on the 15th of August at the ICA, the Bad Vibes Club will be hosting a day of workshops and performances called Feeling Bad. So sign up to our mailing list. Uh, Just email me at info at badvibesclub.co.uk or just get me on Twitter or whatever. And also this thing that people say, which I always forget to say, you should, uh, on iTunes, give us a five-star review and just say something nice and that would be really, really helpful. Okay, so that's it. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye.